was thinking there as we were we were worshiping, just how uh, how incredibly fortunate we are. Uh, one of my favorite places to be in all the world is right there. Um, personally, I like stage noise, and so I like to be close to the band. I'm kind of one of those band groupies. This is yours. Um, But more than just the quality band that we have, there's just something about being in the presence of other people who want to follow God or want to learn more about God, or maybe you're at the point this morning, you're just seeking God, but there's something that happens as we gather in this room and worship together, and I just, I really appreciate that, and I, I feel very honored. <clears throat> We've been going through a series looking at the book of Acts, and this series has, uh, for me, been very encouraging and also very, very challenging. And we are we're right at the halfway point. Hamlet mentioned last week in his message on Acts 15, <clears throat> the first verses in Acts 15, that we're at the halfway point. We are, but it's kind of interesting, this halfway point, because we come to a situation where this whole thing could have fallen apart. There could have been Acts 15, 1 to 10 or something, or or Acts 1, uh, 15, 1 to 15, or how many verses ever along it took, and it would have been over. The church would have been done. They were faced with such a crisis that if they didn't handle this the right way, the church is over. It's done. Think of a relationship maybe you've been in. Uh, I've been in relationships like this. In fact, I'm, I'm married to a person who I've had relationships like this, and I distinctly remember. There was a moment of, uh, if you want to call it, Argument. It wasn't really a knockdown, drag out fight, but it was a moment in January of our dating year where it was a moment to decide whether we were going to continue or not. Carol had to decide whether or not she could deal with someone who was almost perfect. <laughs> that was not the issue. <clears throat> in fact, it was almost the opposite. <laughs> dealing with an issue in a relationship and saying, are we going to make it or not? And I remember distinctly, I remember that conversation in the, in the, what is it, 78 Honda? We sat outside and fogged the windows and we were just talking. <clears throat> we were just talking. It got late, late, late. And I remember going back home after that. We lived just three blocks, or excuse me, three, four houses down from each other. I remember thinking, are we going to make it? I saw the decision to make it on that night to the next day with this relationship as more important than the decision to ask her to marry me. It was like, I knew if we were going to make it through this, we were going to make it through anything. And that's where the church is at. The church is at a point, Hamlet brought it up last week, where they have to get together a council together, and, and if they don't decide this right, it's over. The church is done. It's huge. This is big stuff. And that, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that room. I imagine it was pretty debated and pretty hot in that room. Maybe they didn't yell at each other, but the concepts were such that they felt that tension. Are we going to make it? Now, oftentimes when you get into a debate with someone, and some of you uh, maybe come from family situations, and many of you are we're starting to see the balcony fill up again, so many of you are back from Christmas vacation, and you, maybe you have family situations where it's very tense. And so uh, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, there might be families, and I come from uh, northern Minnesota where uh, people don't forget things up there very well, and so there can be family feuds going on between families for, for generations. 
And you finally get to the point where you ask the question, what are we mad about? What's the problem? I don't even remember how we got here. I just know that I hate your guts, but I don't even know why. And so this morning, before we get into our passage, in fact, we're not going to spend much time at all on the passage, I want to give you a little bit of an insight of what's the problem going on here. Why did all these Christians come together from all around the region, come together to Jerusalem and ask the questions, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Well, what's going on there? The issue at hand, somebody moved my little stands, oh, far away. Um, the issue at hand was, do non-Jewish people have to become culturally Jewish in order to become Christians? That is an irrelevant question to everybody in this room. I, I think, is anybody thinking of becoming Jewish to become a Christian? Raise your hand. Okay. So for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to talk about something completely irrelevant to you, which is usually no different than any of the week, so you're right in good company. I want to make this relevant to you because, honestly, it is, it is a huge problem in the Bible. It's a huge problem in the book of Acts, and it's a huge problem as you read the rest of the New Testament. If you don't get this problem, what this means, Galatians will make no sense to you. Chris Walker and I are going to be teaching a class on Galatians. It will make no sense to you if you don't get this problem. So bear with me a little bit. I want to give you a little bit of a, a framework, a short history of what it means to be a Jewish person. So if you want to grab your Bible, you can follow the screen. We're going to kind of buggy through the Old Testament and then look at some things what happened in Acts, what it means to be a Jewish person. First of all, it starts, obviously you know the, 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 the Old Testament story or account of Noah and, and, and Adam and Eve and all those things, but it really starts, Israel starts with one guy by the name of Abram, later gets his name changed to Abraham, and it, one of my favorite passages on Abraham and what happens to him is in Genesis chapter 15, and it says this, after this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield your very great reward. Now stop right there for a second. What the promise was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11 and 12 was that, Abram, you will be the father of many nations. I'm choosing you. You're nothing special about you. I'm just choosing you, Abram. And you know what? You're going to be my chosen race. You're going to be my chosen people. You're going to have kids all over the place. So some time goes by. We get to Genesis 15. And he says, hey, comes to him again. He says, I'm your very special reward. And Abram's thinking, that's cool, but, look at verse 3. Abram says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, one of his servants. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside. He takes him outside. It's at nighttime. And he says to him, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So he sees all these stars. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believes God. And God credits him this with righteousness. Abraham's faith and God gives him something. He gives him righteousness. Okay, this is huge. This is a huge passage. The promise given to Abraham. And remember, it's going to happen to your offspring. 
If you skip over to Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, there's still no kid. He's 99. There's no kid. The Lord appeared to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham's thinking, greatly increase? Well, it'd be a gazillion percent just having one, right? We're at zero, God. We got nothing. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. God changes his name. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you and the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. And it goes on in the end here in verse 15 to say that if Sarah, she's, Sarai, she's no longer to be called Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give, her, uh, give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Okay, what gets established here? In Genesis chapter 17, what happens now is no longer is it just, you, you, you know, I'm going to give you a lot of people. I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you a land. And I'm also going to form a covenant with you. And part of it is you have to, in a physical way, show your allegiance to me. And what that allegiance is going to be is circumcision. Now, I asked the pastors uh, this week when we were on a pastor study break. Those of you who have read this passage before. Why circumcision? I mean, what an interesting thing. Why not a big old nose ring or something, you know? I mean, it's obviously not very identifiable. You know, people... Clothed. I mean, it's just not a, I don't know. Something, uh, there's some speculation as to why regarding seed and regarding uh, something that's uh, very private to you and all that. And God owning even that. I, I don't exactly know. But this was, this was what God had called his people to do was circumcision. Okay? So remember, we got the offspring thing and we've got circumcision happening. Then someone else comes along. Uh, by the way, not to ruin the story here, but uh, 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 Abraham has a son, Isaac. One son. And through that comes the whole um, tribe of Israel, the whole group of people. So it does, he does flourish. Okay. In that whole process, if you're familiar with what happens, after these people multiply, 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 they go to a land of Egypt, and in Egypt they become enslaved. For hundreds of years they're enslaved. And a deliverer comes by the name of Moses. And Moses is very important. He delivers the people out of bondage from Pharaoh. You know the whole, how the whole thing goes. You've seen the movie. How that happens. 
But what the part they don't show you in the movie is when he's up on the, the, the mountain with God, he doesn't just get the Ten Commandments, he also gets a series of laws and all these different things. And that's to be the way this people is supposed to live. So no longer are they just related physically. No longer are there's just a sign of the covenant, which is circumcision for the males. There's something else that's going to distinguish them, and it's this list of rules and regulations that they're supposed to follow. Moses is gathered in Deuteronomy chapter 29. He's gathered all the nations of, of uh, excuse me, all the peoples of Israel together, and he's giving them all these rules and regulations one more time. He's saying, this is who you're supposed to be. Not just born this way, not just circumcised, but there's a way of living, and there's, a, there, there's all these different things you're to follow. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy 29. He says, you are standing here in order in, to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you skip over to chapter 30, Moses continues speaking and he says, Sir, see, I set before you today life and prosperity on one hand and death and destruction on the other. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will, be that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's evolving. Here's the deal. It wasn't just being born. It wasn't just getting a mark of circumcision. You have to obey this, these rules and regulations, laws and decrees. You don't do that, guess what? You're going to lose your land. You're going to lose it. you got to follow this. Okay? Last week, uh, Hamlet put up, I don't have it in this, queued up at this moment. I'll have it in a little bit. Or maybe I do. Yeah, I do. Go back one. Hey, um, hey, good. Hamlet put up three pillars of being Jewish. First one was, I was born a Jew. I'm an offspring of Abraham. Second was, I was circumcised. And the third was, I observed the law of Moses you got to understand, that was what it meant to be a Jew. You followed this stuff. And Jesus came along and said, yeah, to an extent that, that's totally true, but there's more. Guess what? You can do the first one. You can do the second one. But no one can do the third one, not every bit of it. Who in their heart, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, if you've just looked at a woman lustfully, you've broken the commandment that says don't be an adulterer. If you've, if you've just called your brother a fool, you've murdered him. And what Jesus is trying to do is tell people in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 or the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, guess what? You're all lawbreakers. You're all sinners. And that's the gr most gracious thing I can tell you because you need a Savior. And that was, that was him. 
That's where the tension comes in. People say, no, if I follow the three pillars, I'm good to go. And Jesus comes along and says, yes, the three pillars are a foundation, but the building, now if I was really good, I'd have had this good. The building is Jesus. All this stuff is to point you to Jesus. So there's tension. There's tension between the Jews and the Jews. Because there wasn't Christians at that time. Not really. There were just Jews and Jews who believed in Jesus. Okay? So that's what you had going on. There was tension. So much so that they crucified Christ. You can see that tension. You can see that tension in the book of Acts. You can also see a tension is, wait a minute now. There's an awful lot of people in the world besides Jewish people. What are we supposed to do with them? Look at, look at, we're going to just kind of take some, a few little quick short looks here at the, in the book of Acts and where this trouble is and wondering, what do we do with people who aren't Jewish? Do they have to become Jewish first, go through those three things? Well, they can't really be born a Jew, so okay, we'll just kind of have to overlook that one. But they can get circumcised if they're male and they could follow all the rules and regulations. Should we have them do that? The apostles, when they're at the ascension in chapter 1 of Acts, ask Jesus this question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the apostles are thinking it's just for Jewish people. Jesus says it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So he doesn't correct their question, although I think he kind of redefines what it means to be a person of Israel. And he says then, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they're all going, yeah, yeah. And then he says, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they could be thinking, okay, that makes sense. There's Jews scattered all over the place. We'll go collect them. That, they could be thinking that. And you can see it in Acts chapter 2. When Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit comes on the people and, and, and it's 120 people who are the followers of Jesus at that time. Start speaking in tongues and all these crazy things start to happen and people come and listen as crowd gathers but the people who were there, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Hmm, so it's only, it seems like it's only Jewish people. If you look at chapter 3, Peter and John are going up to the temple. By the way, the temple could be one of the pillars, except Christians immediately said, no, that wouldn't be a pillar of being Jewish because the temple has to do a sacrifice and Jesus is our sacrifice. Now, if you weren't a follower of Jesus, you would say the temple was another one of my pillars. But they were going on their way to the, to the temple to, in the time of prayer and they healed this crippled man. People start to be surprised by that and Peter preaches to them in, in verse 23 of, of, excuse me, in verse 12 of Acts chapter 3, it says, when Peter saw us, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. By the way, this would not be the way to make friends. Would total indictment. Uh, indicting them. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Okay, if you skip down 
to verse 21. He says, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as He promised long ago through His holy prophets. For Moses said, and he quotes Moses, the, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your people. You must listen to everything He tells you. Anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off from among His people. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 18 and he's saying, guess what guys? Moses is saying, follow Jesus. That's what that says. But he's still only talking to Jewish people. There's a little bump. There's a little bump in the, you know, between cultures in uh, Acts chapter 6, 1, it says where, uh, uh, da, 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 da. it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Gratian Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So you got a little bit of culture thing going on here, but you still have Jews. So if you just had the first six chapters of, of Acts, you'd think, and I don't know how many of you come from a, a Jewish background, but most of us don't, you'd think this isn't for us. The message of Jesus isn't for us. And then, then someone comes along by the name of Stephen. Stephen is leveled with two charges against him. The two charges are these two things. You can see them in Acts chapter 6, verse 14. For we have, this is a false witnesses come up and they say that in verse 13, they, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. Verse 14, for we have heard him say things that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and change the customs handed down, Moses handed down to us. There you go. There's the two things. You got, you're going to lose the temple and you're going to lose Moses. You're not going to follow the, the laws anymore. And in response to that, Stephen replies like this in verse 35 of chapter 7. He says, This is the same Moses whom they rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through, an, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This was what that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He quotes that verse again. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Stephen's reply to them, hey, 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 I'm not rejecting Moses. You guys are rejecting Moses. Moses said a prophet's going to come up, listen to him. Guess who that was? That was Jesus. You're rejecting him. Second thing about the temple, he just simply says, the most high does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will be my resting place? Has not my hand made all these things? Jesus, uh, Stephen is saying, the temple is just a shadow of something. And it's not a real, God can't just live in a house. He lives everywhere. Now, this is the most radical thing. The, the Jewish people hate him for this, but you have to understand something. He still hasn't really broken with Jewish customs totally. 
He's saying, I follow Moses. And the temple now is obsolete because of Christ. But he hasn't totally broken with Jewish. So if you were just to hit the first seven chapters of Acts, you would say, I, I think this is just for Jewish people. And then something radical comes out. We called it Gentile Gate. <laughs> Acts chapter 10 and 11. Peter gets this vision. He gets this vision of unclean animals that he's supposed to eat. And he says, never, Lord, I'd never eat unclean animals. And three times this vision says, eat the animals. And here's what happens in, in, in Acts chapter 10. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words to these Gentiles, these people who did not become Jews first, and didn't become circumcised, they weren't born a Jew, and they didn't follow the rules of, of Judaism, when Peter was still speaking these words about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You've you got to understand the tension there. Otherwise, the rest of the Bible, the New Testament, it won't make sense. They were freaking out. What? These people don't follow Moses, and, and yet they can accept Christ? Are you, what's going on? For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. In chapter 11, he has to explain, to, Peter has to explain to the rest of the apostles and the rest of the Christians, the Jewish Christians, what happened. And he says this, As they began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as had come on us in the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he, as he gave us, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And it's a moment of decision here, and in verse 18 they say, when they heard this, they had no further objections, and praised God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto faith. Now, should have been done right there. Should have been no Acts 15 because this was done. This issue is over now. The Gentiles have received faith. Gentiles can receive Christ and they don't have to go through the pillars. It's done. Should have been done. It's not done. James is put to death in chapter 12. The reason for it was Herod, who was a secular, had nothing to do with the, with the uh, Jewish leaders at the time. Verse 2 says he had James, the brother of John, put to death in chapter 12. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. What was happening now was you had Jewish people and you had Jewish Christians, and this divide is starting to get more and more and more and more and more. You see this all throughout the book of Acts as what, what we'll see what Paul, most of his trouble was with Jewish people. Jewish rulers, religious rulers of the day. That's where his trouble were. He's sent off in, in Acts chapter 13. Him and Barnabas are sent off. You can see one account in, in Acts 13, 44. It says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively about what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. You born 
Jews, you circumcised Jews, you the one that are going to follow the law. We're going to speak it to you first. But you know what? Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy, tongue in cheek, of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Now, remember, the word Gentile to a Jew was like dog. And, 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 and we like dogs in this culture. If you've ever been to Thailand, think a dog. I mean, a dog in Thailand is like, oh man, it just... It's just a dog. I mean, it's just, ugh, it's dirty and it's mangy and it, ugh. that's what they were. Gentiles were dogs to, to a Jew. For this is what the Lord has commanded. I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who are appointed for eternal life believed. You can see the same account, another account with Paul and Barnabas. They're in, Trouble again with these Jewish people. In Acts chapter 14, many Jews and Gentiles believed, but the Jews, verse 2, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas sent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And if you go skip down that chapter to verse 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch, and Iconium, and won the crowd over, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city. It's terrorism. Thinking he was dead. He doesn't die. He strengthens the churches on his return trip. Goes to all the places he was at. He appoints leaders or elders in those places, and he gets back to Antioch. And when he gets to Antioch, that's where we get where Hamlet talked about last week. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea. Now, by the way, on a map, it's up. But anywhere, on, when you look at uh, Jerusalem, was, uh, was the top of the world, so to speak. So everywhere is down from Jerusalem. That's the way they thought. So some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs Taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this is no longer outside the church. This has crept inside the church, and there are people who are followers of Jesus who are saying this. This brought, verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. It now is inside the church. It should have been done in Acts chapter 11, but it wasn't. Some people came. If you skip down to verse 5, what Hamlet talked about last week, is says some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, here, believers who belonged to a Jewish sect also. Remember, at this time, people weren't Presbyterians or Baptists or Methodists. They were Jews or Jews. I mean, and, you know, and, and they just thought this was a separate sect of Judaism. And so you have here, these people belong to this party of the Pharisees, and they say something. They say, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. It's a problem in the church. It's, it, it, it's so bad that if they don't get this question right, the church will be done. Peter stands up, guy, guy who had the Acts 11 thing happen, and he ultimately says in verse 11, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. Then they listen to Paul and Barnabas in, in, in verse 12. 
Verse 13, James speaks up. And he says, he culminates what he's saying in, in verse 19. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And Hamlet teed the ball up nice last week and said, I will explain those. <laughs> Thanks, Hamlet. Uh, I don't exactly know why it's those four. Different scholars believe different things. One of which is that those could have been pagan practices, every one of them. Anything polluted with an idol. Don't eat, don't eat food like that. Don't eat food that's strangled. Uh, don't eat food from, that has, still has blood left in it. Sexual immorality was often part of a pagan worship ceremony. They said orgies. That could be. Also, these things could just be things of the law that they would say, if you're going to have Jewish people around you, if you're going to have a church that's going to have both Jewish followers of, of these customs and people who don't, you know what? These are really offensive to them. So if you could just not do these. You know, it's like if you're around someone and you say, you know, I, I, I just, it's not like I'm allergic to it or anything, but I'm really, it, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach a little bit if you smoke. So I quit smoking then. I don't smoke. But, you know, you just stop doing a practice for someone. That could be why these are in there. The one that kind of sticks out is, is the one that says sexual immorality. We're actually going to spend three weeks in February on just those two words. Why would they include the phrase sexual immorality in this list? And the reason for all of this is because, verse 21, for Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. In other words, we've got Jewish people all over the place and you're going to offend them. You're going to offend them. So don't practice these things. You know what though? You don't, if you do practice them, you're just offending people. You're still in if you're a follower of Jesus. All you got to be is a follower of Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You don't have to do anything else. Then they write a letter at the end of this chapter or excuse me, the middle section of this chapter. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by mouth, by word of mouth, what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. They didn't mind these few restrictions. It's okay. Judas and Silas, who themselves are prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where there and many others taught and preached the word 
of the Lord. This is a controversy that if they don't solve it, if they don't solve it in the right way, Christianity, the true Christianity will be over. If you add anything to Christianity, you make what's called legalism. If you say, well, you just got to do Jesus and you got to be a member of this church. Or if you say, you know, you got to be a follower of Jesus and you got to uh, read your Bible every day and you got to follow these rules. Winston Churchill was fond of, of this story he used to like to tell. A story where a family was sitting in, in, by the river and uh, they were just having a great time. Their, all, all the relatives and all their kids were there and all of a sudden they noticed that one of their kids is missing. And they look out and they see the kid bobbing. He's going up and down the river. Well, not a single adult there knew how to swim. Not a single adult there knew how to swim. And so they get frantic. Oh my gosh, he's out there drowning. What are we going to do? And a passerby comes by, sees the kid drowning. He dives in with all of his clothes on it, at risk to his own life, swims all the way out there, gets the kid, brings him all the way back in, hands him in the mother's arm. The mother squeezes him up, takes one look at him, and says, where's Johnny's cap? That's what legalism is. Legalism is where you got to have everything just right. Because I have to be just right. You forget the big, you forget the picture, the main picture. You forget the main purpose. You forget the cross. And you say, you know what, I got to, okay, it's Jesus. He handles most of my sins, but the other ones I got to earn for. I got to pay for. Folks, Jerry Bridges in his book, one of my favorite ones, we sell it over here. I'm not advocating getting it there. Get it anywhere. It's a great book. It's called Transforming Grace. And in that book, he says, every one of us is a natural-born legalist. We get it because we get rejected from people as a young, at a young age. We get rejected by our friends. And so we think, well, I have to, I have to put on a mask. I've got to be a certain way, and then people will accept me. And you translate that to God. And you say, you know what? If I just clean up my act, if I stop doing the things I shouldn't be doing and I start doing the things I should be doing, God will accept me. And you know what? That is a lie. There is nothing you can do or not do so that God will accept you or won't accept you. Nothing. Let me say that again. There is nothing you can do or not do so that God will accept you or not accept you. Nothing. The only thing is to cling on to Jesus Christ. And to say, you know what, I want to let someone else be my sin bearer. And if you do that, if you cling to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you take my sins? He does something more than that. He gives you his life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you give him your sin, he gives you his righteous life. So that on the day of judgment, you're not going to be judged on your life. You're going to be judged on the life of Christ. I'm, amen to that. If you do that, so then why read your Bible? Why am I reading the Bible through this year? And, and you know, and I, I admit, I love this thing. It's really helpful, but there's a lot of little check boxes. Check boxes to legalists are awesome because I did it. I did today. I was in the car way back from Pastor Study Bake. Check, 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 check. I got them done. I'm acceptable to God today because my boxes are checked. Don't laugh. You have lost thousands of boxes. You got them. Some of you have lists. 
Others of you don't. They're just mental. I got lists. I checked that box. I was nice to my wife today, only once a month, but I'm nice. So I'm acceptable to God today. I prayed like I'm supposed to. I gave 10% or whatever you give to the church. I, whatever it is, you got boxes. Nothing wrong with that stuff. Do that stuff. Do more of it. Why am I reading the Bible through? Hey, I'm the first one to say, I say this every time I do this. I think it's the third or fourth time I've done it. I never make it in a year. Never. And I hope that encourages you. But what, what's the point? What's the point of reading the, the box checks? Because this year I want to spend more time in reading the Bible because I want to know God. And guess what? As I do that, and I'm already behind, what is it, the 9th of January? I'm already behind. <laughs> I'm going to spend more time in the Bible. I don't care if I finish or not. In fact, sometimes I don't finish just because I want to make sure I'm not being legalistic. I'm kind of nutty that way. <laughs> Legalism will choke you out, choke out grace. You will never understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. You'll never be able to admit how much of a sinner you really are because, you know what, I'm not really that bad, God. I, I'm doing this stuff, I look pretty good. No, you don't. You're a sinner and it's graceful to know you're a sinner. Because then you say, Jesus, and you embrace the cross, and you say, I need you. I don't just want you, I need you. If you're a legalist, Jesus is just a nice addition. He just, he just makes up for the things you couldn't do on your own. You can't do anything on your own. Lauren Sani, who was founder of the Navigators, was giving a speech one time. And he said, he, he was talking, the, he was giving some situation in his life, and he said, he said, you know, in this situation, I don't remember what the situation was, but he said, uh, um, he said, my motives were pure in this. And then he stopped, and he, he thought about this thing, and he says, I, I need to check that back. I've never had a pure motive in my entire life. And neither have you. And neither have I. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, oh, I got great news for you this morning. You can't. You've never had one pure thing you've done in your entire life. That's an encouraging message, huh? You've never done one thing in your life that's completely without even a hint of false precept, false motive. You've never done one. Praise God. Why? Because you'll stop trying to earn it. And you'll start clinging to the cross. Jerry Bridges in his book, Transforming graces is a second danger besides legalism, and I won't touch on this one a whole lot, but it begs the question what we're talking about today, and that's license, or what the fancy word is, antinomianism. Antinomianism, which means, well, if I don't got to do anything, woohoo, party! You miss it if you go there. Why am I reading the Bible through? Not because I have to, but because I get to. Let's pray. Lord, we've looked at a lot of passages this morning. My heart's desire for all of us is that we'd sense the tension. What was set up in the Old Testament was set up to make us know that we'll never make it on our own. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that the law was added so that trespasses would increase. Those rules and regulations are there so that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we're sinners. That apart from grace we have no hope. So Jesus, I pray for the people in this room. Every one of us is a natural born legalist. Every one of us has done the sin of legalism this week. We've tried to earn our favor with you. We've tried to say, God, I'm good enough because I do this stuff. And though maybe we weren't born Jewish and maybe we aren't circumcised and maybe we're not following all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament, we've got our own list. And right now, God, I pray that by your spirit you'd speak to us and set us free from that stuff. Not set us free from doing the things we ought to do because it gives us joy, but doing them because we think we need to earn points with you or earn favor with you. God, if we do that, it is looking at the beautiful gift that you've given to us, the beautiful Christmas gift you've given to, to us and we open it up and we say, isn't that beautiful? But you know what? I'm going to add to it. It's not quite beautiful enough. So Jesus, I just pray that we would in all of our fullness acknowledge our deficiency so that we can let you reign in your magnificence and we can see you as you are. God, I pray for those in this room who never have bent their knee to you who have been all their lives trying to be religious or trying to follow the rules or trying to earn favor from you, I pray that right now they would cry out, that they would open their hearts, even as I'm speaking, that you'd be speaking to them and that they would open their hearts and say, Jesus Christ, from this day forward, I trust in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and not based on anything else. I pray for that, God, that you do that work in this room. I pray, Lord, for people who many, many years, perhaps even as children, made a decision to follow Jesus as Lord, and yet all this legalism has crept back in. I pray, God, that you'd set us free from that. That we'd be followers of Jesus and Him alone, and in that we'd rejoice, and not in our own behavior. You alone can do that work, Lord. By your Spirit, do the work that you want to do, even as we sing in closing. We pray in Jesus' name.